here we are. Uh, this is another Kaiju Transmissions. This is Bird. This is... Matt. Yes. Uh, and with me is uh, my, the host of my other show, If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It. If you don't know about it, you should listen to it. This is Trev. Are you, like, on speed? I know. Why are you, like, rushing through this? <laughs> What's going I'm going to be here all night. Uh, well, and he also hosts a fabulous X-Men podcast called Days of Future Podcast. Isn't that right, Trev? It is right. Are you high? I mean, seriously, are you on speed? I, well, I, I, we just had tacos. Is this, like, are tacos, like, <laughs> speed for you? <laughs> no. Uh, you're too amped up, man. Calm down. Okay. We had Del Taco. I should be the one who's, like, the most excited right now, and, like, you're freaking out. Can we do a review of Del Taco? I feel like the world needs to know. It was delicious. It was tasty. I liked it. it but good. if you're going to be like this all, all night, then we cannot eat there again. Come on, man. Yeah, this is a little ridiculous. All right, well, okay, right, so right, how did we do on the intro that time? It was the worst intro maybe ever, but let, let's just keep going, I guess. All right. And we have Trev here for a very special reason. Uh, and it's a reason some people may or may not approve of. But we figure being a kaiju podcast... Why are you apologizing already? I don't, man, I'm, I'm trying to hook the people in here. Sorry, I'm just being really critical because... No, I feel I agree. I feel like you're making it more controversial than it really is, but keep going. Well, I gotta sensationalize, man. That's how media works. No, that's how Trump works, not <laughs> the media. News, man. <laughs> anyway, uh, something that kind of goes hand in hand is Mystery Science Theater 3000, uh, and uh, I think for a lot of people, not necessarily myself, and I don't think either of you, but for a lot of people in our age bracket... This was very much the first time they saw uh, some kaiju uh, movies or um, B-movies or really any kind of like old school science fiction stuff. And uh, it made a lot of new fans. It alienated some older fans. But regardless, I think it's only proper that we dedicate some time to it, especially right now. Uh, it's about to come back on, uh, I believe, Netflix. With a, a brand new season, um, so uh, it's exciting. And um, you've heard Trev on the on the show before. Um, and uh, the reason we wanted him here is because uh, Mystery Science Theater is, in fact, his favorite show. Right? You're of, ever, ever, my favorite show of all time. Of yes. all time, I did not know that actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, usually, when we have Trev on, he's kind of. Acting as the, the your, foil, yeah, you're, you're the the everyman. Um, but yeah, Trev's kind of the your cat. He he is casually into the kaiju stuff, so he usually provides a an outside perspective. And you know, we're the kind of the super nerds who kind of give out the information. So this is going to be kind of uh, the tables are going to turn a little bit because I think myself and Matt we we love MST, but we're by no means we haven't seen every episode. We don't know. A whole lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, so uh, I'm hoping for an interesting and productive discussion. Uh, and um, you yeah, know, it's a really important show for me. I think it's it's like my favorite show of all time, and I think it, it's a, a show that. I mean, I, it's not like I was super little when it came on. I guess I started watching it when I was about yeah twelve or thirteen. But uh, I'd say I. I think a lot of my sense of humor and who I am was like informed by that show for okay. sure. Um, would you say that you fall into the bracket of people who 
got interested in genre films from MST? No, I was already interested. I was definitely already interested in, in genre films. By that point, you know, I was like, I'm a child of the 80s. You know, by that point, I was already, I'd seen stuff like Gremlins and Goonies and things like that. and was already into stuff like that. But I definitely think MST opened up my um, appreciation of, like, the ironic love of bad movies, right? And we're going to talk a lot about that this, in this yeah. episode about that kind of culture being created by this show, right? Yeah, I think you have. It's to. not the show didn't invent that, but it it made it, it blew it up into something like huge. So yeah. we'll talk about that, I'm sure. Um, now, as far as uh, what can you give some insight on just um, who made the show and what? made them want to do it and like who are these guys i guess the show is the was a, the, like the brainchild of a comedian named joel hodgson who like was like during the 80s was like a young up-and-coming stand-up comic and you can actually go back and find he had appeared on snl a few times because if you remember snl used to do things like that where they'd have like andy kaufman come on and do bits and they would actually have like stand-up bits and his whole thing was he would come on SNL with like inventions that he created. And I remember one of them was he had like the uh, the instant mohawk, which is just a bald cap with like the middle cut out, <laughs> so you'd put it on your hair and stick through. And it was all like wacky inventions and stuff like that. And he was, you know, he was trying. He was out in LA and New York trying to make it um, as like a TV personality, and it wasn't quite working. So he decided to go back to Minneapolis, where he was from, and. In Minneapolis, he ended up hooking up with this producer named Jim Mallon, who at that time was um, Jim Mallon had, had made like a little. I think you've seen Blood Hook, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Jim Mallon had made a little comedy horror film called Blood Hook, and those two hooked up and started talking about ideas back and f- bouncing by ideas back and forth. And Jim Mallon was working for like a Minneapolis TV station, a, a local UHF station called Kitma KTMA, that needed programming and asked was specifically asking for like them to fill kind of a two hour block. And Joel had this idea of a movie show where they would watch a movie and like talk, you know, and talk during it. And it was very much like kind of a, um, you know, it was tied into the old horror hosts, I think, like things like Zachary and Vampira and things yeah. like that. Kind of. And, uh, well, I mean, I, back then in the day, like people forget this, and it's it's a super sad to me that this is like a forgotten part of our culture now because I love horror hosts. But that's where like horror hosts were born out of was like public access you know like most local markets had their own horror host Mm. and really just in general i think we've kind of forgotten about public access and like local market channels and how it was stuff that was only kind of regional yeah so i mean i don't want to i don't think you guys want you don't want me to bog down the show with like a super in-depth history but malin and hodgson were really the two that got it going and they brought in um kevin murphy who is a friend of malin's and uh trace balu was another comedian in the scene and they kind of came up with this idea of mystery science theater 3000 quickly formed it and started airing episodes on on ktma and at that point it was really kind of you can find the kitma shows uh you can do like tape trading and find torrents of them you can probably find some stuff on youtube of those the mystery science theater people will actually tell you not to watch them they're not super proud of them they're really low budget really rinky dink and at that point, um, the one thing that really separates the Kitma shows from the later shows is that it wasn't scripted. So when you watch it, you're really watching them just watch the movie and kind of riff it in the moment. And so it's kind of raw, and sometimes they'll go a long time without making a joke, mm. and the jokes aren't you know refined. But it's interesting as like a historical lesson to see that. But I guess the, so. The easy answer to your question would have been Joel Hodgson, yeah. but I gave you like a little bit more. Okay. So, yeah. Um. So with uh. With MST, um, was 
do you know if they were like actually influenced by like the Elvira's and the? Uh, I don't. I mean, I, I'm. I'm sh- I think they've said a little bit about that. I will read you something I found. So I was looking at some stuff about, you know, the the beginning of it, and this is kind of interesting. And I think this will tie into like, some later discussions we have about the motivations of the show. And this is Trace Ballou actually talking about the creation of it, and he says that the origins of the show were very organic. We started in a little television station and had, and had access to their film library. We'd all grown up on science fiction films, and so those worked best in the science fiction framework the show was being presented. But we had no intention on riffing on them. We were originally just going to talk about them. And then we quickly learned, being comics ourselves, we were going to have to fill dead air, a lot of it. Those early days, we were really dr- trying to figure out the show, and it wasn't until we got the time to script it that we honed the craft. That's when Frank came along and brought a huge amount of comic sensibility to the show. And there he's talking about Frank Conniff, who would later go on to be, play TV's Frank on the show. And so he's saying they're like bringing in him, you know, that's when they started to figure out, oh, this should be a show where we're like making fun of the movie kind of as we watch it. Where initially I think it was just an idea of, hey, let's talk about the movie while we watch it. So I would guess that if they were like, if he's saying they were all fans of science fiction stuff growing up, I find it hard to believe they weren't familiar, familiar with those kind mm. of horror hosts and things like that, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. Do you want to just get out of the way real quick? Because I think we, we, we do want to end up talking about, you know, maybe our favorite episodes and, uh, you know, what it, what it did for, for certain kaiju movies. But uh, let's just kind of get it out of the way. I think that not just and not just within the kaiju fan base, but I think horror and science fiction, I think that there's a little bit of a misconception surrounding MST uh, is that something that you are you are we on the same page on there at all? I feel like you think of it as a bigger thing than well, I do. It, it, maybe I, it's just because I'm we're Matt and I are more like involved in <laughs> circles where people seem really mad mm-hmm. that they riff on films that they like. Yeah, basically. and and I think that maybe that goes with you know kaiju movies have. Uh, I mean, it's coming around a little bit more now with, you know, the MonsterVerse and all this. But um, for a long time, it was very much, oh, the guys in suits and cardboard buildings and blah, blah, blah. So that kind of, I think, wired kaiju fans to always kind of be on the defense. And so I think that's where that kind of habit <laughs> comes from, you know? Well, we, we sort of saw that today where there was a guy saying that the new movie Colossal was somehow disrespectful to... Just just, just be, the movie. Just by being just, a comedy. Just by being you know, a comedy. Like, and, it's, uh, it's a mentality I don't quite get and I can't really... I can't connect to and wrap my head around because the quickest way to like win me over on, it, like an, on even like a personal level is to be self-deprecating and be willing to make fun of yourself. Mm-hmm. And like people don't have a sense of humor. Like It drives me insane. And the idea of like have being that upset about someone just kind of you know making fun of a movie you like, and, and I don't, I've never looked at MST as like a mean spirited show mm-hmm. um, by any means. And I know um, you asked me if like you know if there's any you know instances of the the creators talking about the kind you know the movies they liked and were doing with I, I, another another interview with Trace. She says you know um, he's talking about the kind of movies they want to do. And he's talking about why, why they wouldn't do, like, why MST would avoid stuff like Sharknado or Snakes on a Plane, those kind of films. And he said, films that are self-aware and designed for riffing, we have no interest in those. The films we like, a lot of the movies from the 50s and 60s, had a lot of heart put into these films. Ed Wood wasn't the worst filmmaker of all time. He had a lot of heart. He was a dedicated filmmaker. 
a lot of these films were just made with a bit of naivety and love for making films. They weren't trying to be ironic, which makes them more fun to watch. So he's acknowledging that, like, it's like they, they acknowledge the craft of the films, but who's going to deny that when you watch these films, there's not goofy stuff you can right, joke yeah, about, yeah. you know? So why not? Um, and I mean, I've always said, I think it's very mentally healthy to not only be able to make fun of the things that you love, but also, you know, yourself, you know, you, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like if I was able to watch, like, I, in some of these movies, I mean, take, I mean, we'll get to the, Gamera is a big part of the MST, you know, their legacies are like hand in hand almost, at least here in the States. Like, I wouldn't want to watch those movies and just sit there stone faced and mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and be like, I'm watching a great science fiction film right now. You know, I, I, you know, when I watch those, I do chuckle at some of the, I mean, especially the gamma movies, like how poorly staged some of the effect sequences are the, the completely off the wall writing. Like that's part of the fun of those movies. And plus when you watch films with your friends, like that's, that's part of the fun is the interaction with each other and talking about some of the dumb things you're watching during the movie well and with and with mst it really was born out of that old tradition right like i don't know how familiar you guys are with zachary in particular the old horror host but he's kind of like maybe he was like the first really big one and if you go back and watch old stuff of him he would do that he would put himself into the films like he would have he would cut himself in you know using like you know projection things and make these jokes and kind of do audio jokes over the film so they were really just paying tribute to that and especially as a, as i said as they start as they were one of those public access shows that was just meant to take advantage of the film library this channel had mm-hmm. sitting around. And I mean, uh, you mentioned you don't find it mean spirited. One thing that is like that I don't understand is a lot of the people that dislike MST would probably stick up for like a like enjoy like Elvira and Sven Gulli and mm-hmm. I don't find that MST any more. Alfire cuts into the movies too and makes little jokes. It's yeah, not you know, as they, it's not as constant, right? But right. I mean, that's the, I think maybe that's the thing where that throws them off. And they're like, oh, they're talking over the whole movie, you know. Yeah. And they certainly said that when they first started showing MST, one of their big things was that Kitma. They wanted to know if people are watching the show, so they just set up a phone line at Kitma to say, hey, call in if you like the show and leave a message. And they said they they couldn't believe how much it blew up. But they said they definitely had people calling in and saying like, hey, why are these things on the screen talking. I just want to watch the movie, you know? So it took a while for people to kind of get it. Right. But um, I mean, once you get it, then you're, you're on board, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and I think something you and I agree on is that, you know, however you feel about like the, the jokes or anything, they also brought a lot of attention to movies that otherwise would have been lost or mm-hmm. forgotten about. And these movies, they brought them back into like public view or what, what kind of movies specifically would you think of like in, in those kind of cases? Look at like Manos, Manos, the hands of fate. No one would know what that movie was if not for them. And they've made it into like a weird cult classic. You know, Um, you look at a film like Hobgoblins, which the director Rick Sloan actually says that, you know, he he watched the version. He was like, oh, well, they made my movie more watchable. And he actually got a Hobgoblins 2 made. And he said, he's like, I totally acknowledge I would never have been able to make Hobgoblins 2 if their episode hadn't given my movie more of a, a cult following, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, they certainly bring attention to these films. Um. I mean, as fans of, I mean, sometimes there are so good, quote unquote, so good, they're bad movies that I love. And I don't love them because I'm being mean to them. I love them because they're legitimately enjoyable. And sometimes it is due to like a level of incompetence. But the fact is, I'm buying those DVDs and Blu-rays. I'm watching it. I'm enjoying it. I'm showing it to people. And ultimately... But even you and I have said, like, so we have a regular bad movie night, which I think a lot of people do because of Mystery Science Theater. 
And you and I have talked about how the, the bad films we love the most are the ones that were clearly, like he just said, like Trace said in that interview, are clearly the ones that were made by people like with a lot of passion and were trying to make something good. And yeah, you, and yeah, it's like silly that they got it wrong, but that's totally different than like just a completely incompetent film, yeah. right? Like you're just still a passion of it. And I, yeah, MST gave birth to like this like ironic love of. Not, I don't want to say gave birth to it, but it definitely like blew it up and created this subset like. The cult filings that we see for films like Birdemic and The Room and Troll 2 today, that comes out of a post-MST world mm-hmm. where people like want to get together and watch movies and kind of joke around about them like um, that. Well, one thing that, this is, since this is Kaiju Transmissions, that I think is definitely super relevant is Gamera. Uh, now... Crash Course on Gamera in the U.S. Um, the first movie was the only one that was released theatrically, and it was edited a lot like, you know, the original Godzilla and other Americanizations. And then the rest of them, American International bought and just put straight onto TV, and so they'd run every now and then. And then in the 90s, in, I think late 80s, maybe early 90s, um, Sandy Frank had gotten the rights, done brand new dubs for all of them, and put them on VHS. Um... And uh, MST managed to to get the the ability to to riff on those, and they did five Gamera movies. And um, this was was this Comedy Central? The Comedy they actually Central originally movies? did the Gamera films on Kitma. Okay, um, and they they were I I know that they were actually really excited to get the rights again when they went to Comedy Central because when they went to Comedy Central, obviously none of the Kitma stuff came with them. So they had to like try to get rights again, and they they had they had all liked doing the Gamera films on Kitma. They said it went well for them, so yeah. they kind of pursued it and got them back for Comedy Central. Yeah, and all the Gamera episodes are in season three of Mystery Science okay. Theater. Uh, the two Godzilla episodes were in season two. Okay, um, but yeah, like um, in that that showing those episodes so much really, I mean I. I can't speak for Japan. Uh, you know, I, I think Gamera is part of just the cultural kaiju landscape there. But here in the States, Gamera was pretty much known by, you know, the monster kid generation who saw him on TV. And that was it, you know. And then when MST did him, it literally brought a whole new generation of people to the Gamera films. And Yeah, um, I mean, apologies to any Gamera fan who doesn't agree, but I'm just going to say it. MST made Gamera in America. Yeah, it, it really did resurrect Gamera in ways that though the I mean the VHS tapes really didn't, you know. I mean it certainly uh, made it certainly made Gamera for like you said for a certain generation. Whereas like Godzilla always stays consistent, you know, because it gets yeah. shown so much more on TV and it's got more movies. Like a generation of like my age and like maybe a little younger, maybe even a little older, probably wouldn't know Gamera if not for MST. Yeah, it's like the Bob Burns generation that would know yeah. like But but no, I mean that that's pretty accurate. Like um and you know, I mean listening to different podcasts or reading different interviews with with people about Gamera, you know, at least on American soil, like 90% of the time when they say, how'd you become a Gamera fan? They say, I first saw it on Mystery Science Theater. Well, it was a really unique thing for Mystery Science Theater, too, because Mystery Science Theater had a couple other instances where they did a movie and then maybe it's sequel. But Gamera is one of the few series they kind of tackled. And over like that and Hercules were the two that they kind of did a lot of mm-hmm. during the Comedy Central era. And Hercules is a little more inconsistent, right? Because they so many different people played him, and they weren't super connected. But the Gamera films, by doing five of them, it was really they were able to have this kind of ongoing bit. And you know, you actually see the jokes develop over the five episodes. They kind of make callbacks. 
the Gamera song keeps developing. Oh, that which they is created. great. Yeah. Um, so it really was unique for MST in that it felt different. And I think that's why later, um, you know, they've, they've done multiple DVD releases of Mystery Science Theater. And they're usually just kind of like random episodes kind of collected together. But Gamera is the one they made sure to kind of release as a set, you know. Um, and this is just a theory. I don't have any concrete proof of this. But when Gamera, the reboot... Uh, which is the the excellent trilogy from the 90s, when they released the first movie here, Guardian of the Universe, it did get a limited theatrical run. Um, and I feel like, I don't know if that would have happened if they didn't know that there was a whole other audience built into Gamera from Mystery Science Theater. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I mean, it, it, like I said, it's a theory, but I think it's one that, at least in my brain, makes sense. Um now, uh, you know what's funny is I guess probably no one listening to this would like like be that confused, but we never even really explained like what Mystery Science Theater is, <laughs> the concept of it is. Well, we kind of talked about it and talking about we the, said it's the like people stuff, you know but... making fun of like a movie, but we never really said like what the gist of the show is, right? Right. Yeah. Well, you run, you can run away with that. Well, so the just I mean like the the general just the show is it's not just a guy watching movies. It's it, it the, the the plot of the show is that it's actually a man. Uh, in the first iteration, it's Joel Robinson, played by Joel Hodgson, who's been shot up into space and is in a, actually in a spaceship called the Satellite of Love. And he's been set up there by his bosses. He worked at a place called Gizmonics Institute. And his boss is Dr. Uh, Forrester. And it, the first version is actually, um, you know, uh, TV's, uh, I believe his name is TV's Josh. He was like the first sidekick. But um, they sent him up there. And they're kind of running an experiment on him. They're trying to find the worst movie ever made that they can use to actually conquer humanity by the idea of showing people this movie is so bad it'll like break their minds. And so he's their test subject, and he's gonna have to watch all these films. And to keep himself from going crazy, he's kind of an he's like an inventor. He's really handy with gadgets, so he takes some of the raw materials of the ship and builds this kind of like robot family to live with. Um, so it's Tom Servo, who is kind of looks like this gumball with slinky arms. Uh, Crow, who's the gold one, he's like a little, he's more sarcastic, more acerbic. Um, he's kind of made out of like a, like a bowling pin and some ping pong ball eyes and like a kind of a, I I think some kind of like, I think it's a mask or something like a Mm. lacrosse mask or net or something. Um, then there's also Gypsy who kind of just controls the functions of the ship. Cambot, who's obviously the floating camera who's filming the show. And then later they would add magic voice. Who's just kind of like a voiceover that talks to them. And so when the movies play, it's actually Joel and the two bots who go into the room and watch the show. And you see their silhouettes in the... The silhouettes are in the bottom right corner. Um, about, a, you know, a little less than halfway through the run of the show, Joel was swapped out with Mike. And we can probably talk about that later, about the whole, that debate, about you know, <laughs> that silly debate about are you a Joel or a Mike person. Um, and then the, the villains of the show would, like, evolve over time as well as different writers and performers left and new ones came on, but that's so that's the gist of the show. It's a, the idea is it's a man in space with robots being forced to watch bad films. Um, and I guess uh, to kind of add a little more to what we were saying earlier uh, about how, like, it, it just to I mean, I'd grown up on Mystery Science Theater, but you know, I hadn't watched in a while, so I kind of binged a bunch of episodes and watching them all like back to back to back to back to back. Like, uh, I really was kind of. I did really did see like kind of the innocence in it in that the the riffs and the jokes rarely I, I don't want I don't want to say rarely because it depends on the movie they're watching right but they they don't really at least because like I watched a lot of the giant monster and kaiju based ones they really don't go for the jugular at least in those like the 
the the riffs and the jokes weren't really at the aren't really at the movie's expense. Mm-hmm. They're more like um like a, the Deadly Mantis. There's a, a scene <laughs> where like a guy is like trying to like woo a girl in a car and the the joke is just they they kind of like dub the over the guy and he says I've got a mantis in my pantis. My, that's my favorite joke. <laughs> <laughs> and and like that's not make that's not being mean to the movie, you know? It's just it's just a riff. It's just a joke. Um you know, and then I mean, once they were able to not worry about rights and do like the riff track stuff on the internet, they they started doing like Lord of the Rings and Memento. And I'm with you when they do stuff like that, it's not really as funny. But that kind of shows me that like they don't watch a movie because they hate it or that they are trying to. No, I mean know. to be fair, and I think you'd agree though. I mean, yes, it's true that uh, most of their classic best episodes are really bad movies like where, Manos hands where, where like Manos um, where they do start to the jokes start to be more like the how why would anyone make this film and like <laughs> yeah. the kind of general incompetence of it but that's just that's kind of ancillary that makes sense if you're watching a film like with this concept the best episodes are the ones where the movies are really bad mm-hmm. and it seems like they're causing Joel or Mike and the bots like pain to watch them because right. that's just funnier you know mm-hmm. which doesn't happen in any of the Gamera episodes nope. but did they do Night of Living Dead on MST? No, or was that no, something no. they did that later? That was something they did for Riff okay. Tracks later. Yeah, but that's your favorite movie. It's my favorite movie of all time, and I totally was down for watching them riff it. Like, um, well, who can, I mean, it's a, I think it's a great movie, but there's no movie that you can't riff, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe like Schindler's List. That's exactly what I was <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess you could, but I don't know that you um, should. You know, yeah. The quote I found from uh, Joel, um, who co-creator of the show... He said, the real secret of movie riffing is you can't be a dickweed. You're a companion to the people watching. And people don't want to spend time with people who are dickweeds. The coloring book version of movie riffing is being really cynical and finding fault with everything. But it's unfair because the movies are old and they can't defend themselves. So you really can't take that position uh, of, boy, did you ever screw up making this movie. That doesn't work. Um, So that's a direct quote Mm -hmm. from... From Joel, so yeah. I think I think there's a little bit of affection for it, and I mean I've been to a lot of the live riff tracks, and um, you can always tell when like they don't think a movie's awful, at least in those because they do the the pre-show talking. The two the two examples that stick in my mind was um, both House on Haunted Hill, the William Castle Vincent Price movie, and Mothra. Before both of those started, they more or less said like, if you don't know what this is and you haven't done this before, and if you don't like it. Just don't listen to us and pay attention to the movie, and you know, which is actually impossible. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the sen- the this the thought that comes. Yeah, the sentiment is there. Um, well, yeah, and I mean, during the early days in particular, like it was Frank Conniff's job to watch the dozens of movies that would be submitted to them by the network and say, "Hey, here's you know, here's movies we have rights to." And you know that sounds like the most miserable job, right? Because he had to pick the uh, of all these horrible <laughs> ones. What were the ones to that we'll, we'll do, right? But I mean, that's to say there was a lot of, that he was like, well, these are just so bad. We wouldn't even bother with them. You know, so obviously the ones they're picking, clearly some of them are picking because they can tell they're, they're like an easy target, maybe. But I think they also pick ones that they realize are, are entertaining films just in, in, a, in their own right and have a certain charm to them. So they'll work on a TV presentation. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, uh, do you feel I mean, we talked about. I think I think the disconnect with genre fans and MST sometimes can be that they feel like MST is somehow damaged the reputation of certain genres or whatever. But my, my take on that was always the people that don't like this stuff or would hate this stuff or make fun of this stuff 
I mean, they're going to feel that way with or without MST. Mm -hmm. And I would almost venture to say that if you feel that way about genre films, you probably wouldn't like MST anyway. Yeah, so in my experience, almost all MST fans are like, I mean, obviously it's just like a comedy show, but I think most MST fans are genre fans. People who already are predisposed to liking sci-fi stuff and horror stuff. Yeah. You know. um, and, uh, you know, I, I think um, we have a friend of ours who said, you know, the thing about MST is that it, it conditioned people to, uh, like, talk during movies and try to be funny during movies. And, I mean, I don't know if you can really blame the show for that, you know? I mean, and, and I mean, MST, that, these are skilled comedians that are writing, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just random schmoes watching something. Yeah. They're professionals. I mean, I would argue something more positive. I'd say that what MST really kind of conditioned people to do and kept alive in a way is the idea of social movie watching the idea of like, especially like in the early days of MST, it was, it was very much driven on this idea of, I, I really miss like watching MST back in the early days because there was this, this feeling of it was such a cult show, right? It hadn't blown up yet. And it had this like kind of intense um, cult following at a time when the internet was just kind of starting, you know, and they would actually, the end of every episode would say, keep circulating the tapes because they knew the fans were taping episodes and, and trading them with each other and things like that. And then I know like people were starting to get together to watch MST together. And I think that eventually morphed into like, as we said, like kind of bad movie nights that people would have. And it's something that they've, they've continued to foster. Like the creators of MST who've gone on to do other projects like cinema Titanic and Rift tracks. They've said like, we like that, that we have this idea of you should get together with people and watch movies, right? It should be like a social thing. It's not something you just sit at home and watch a movie on your phone by yourself. So I think there's a positive aspect too. Um, uh, our friend Eric, who dislikes MST, which is in his rights, uh, he pointed me to the book Keep Watching the Skies, which is um, like this great big revered book about science fiction movies, and the author is not a fan. Um, but, uh, you know, this is kind of the, re the reputation that MST has in some circles. Um... I'm not saying, I mean, anyone's open to their opinion. There's no wrong opinions, but I just kind of want to get your thoughts on this, Trev. And it ties into what we were saying about how MST made the ironic movie viewing like a normal thing. Um, but this is in regards to the movie Attack of the Killer Shrews. Um, the movie Great became, episode, by the way. <laughs> the movie became a favorite on Mystery Science Theater 3000, shown as Attack of the Killer Shrews. MST3K has its admirers. However, for those of us who dislike the show... Killer Shrews is a good demonstration of the destructive effect of the series. Movies eviscerated by sarcastic writers, and these viewings shaped their perceptions of the films the series was so uh, contemptuous about. The Killer Shrews is a cheap, obvious movie, but not a stupid one. Regrettably, MST3K viewers won't have the opportunity of discovering that for themselves. They already know it's, a terrible, it's terrible because cynical writers told them it was. MST3K's snide superior attitude puts a barrier between the movies and any likelihood of seeing them for what they really are. As director Joe Dante, who I love, but also not an MST fan, as director Joe Dante says, it's as if you're finally seeing a movie you're you've been looking for and a bunch of rowdy teenagers sitting in front of you just make noisy, ignorant, and obvious jokes. <laughs> so uh, for, for, for all of you who can't see Trev right now, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders. And so I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the position here is that it's damaging because 
people are assuming before they have mm-hmm. seen a movie for themselves that if it's on MST, it must be bad. So, so mm-hmm. let, let me chime in because I'm not the biggest MST fan. I meaning I've seen it. I'm not the super fan like Trev. I'm less exposed to it than Kyle has been. Um, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because if if you're hopefully you're an informed adult and can make your own decision about a movie without having to basically saying that oh this person said it's true so I have to believe what they say. Like I, I, I think that's a valid point. You know, like just because someone says this movie sucks doesn't mean I have to think that this movie sucks. You can watch the movie. Yeah, or you can. I would also say to Joe Dante and the and the, the individual who wrote that book, uh, you can simply not watch it. You can simply not watch the MST version if you're that upset that they're talking over it. You, know, you don't have to. When you say, like, oh, it's you finally get to see this movie you've been waiting to see and they're talking over it. Okay, well then just wait a little longer and find it without them talking over like, it. But how is, they also, in that whole little thing, he calls the movie cheap. Like, isn't that insulting? Well, well, I, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, so he says it's a cheap, obvious film, but not a stupid one. But it's like, well, it's cheap. Well, I, would, like, it's I, I, I was looking through like the sample pages on Amazon because I don't own the book. But at the beginning, they even say, like, uh, you know, a lot of the times the movies are hokey. They can be stupid. But I think his overall problem is is the assumption that some people have that if it's on MST, it must be bad. I mean, like, Sea Monster is on MST, and all, and I think w- that's a pretty highly revered movie for most kaiju Within fans. the fan base, yeah, yeah. for sure. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I look, Killer Shrews has obvious puppets and has dogs um, wearing, like, these terrible costumes to look like shrews as they attack people. If if you can't laugh at that, I just don't know what to tell you. I mean, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, like, I don't, you have to be, you don't have to be super cynical and say, oh, well, that just means it's, like, the worst movie ever made, but... It doesn't mean it, it, that you can laugh at it. There's yeah. something charming and goofy about it. It doesn't no mean that, that it doesn't mean that you have to think that. I mean, you can think it's a good movie and still laugh. at Well, the and fact where do you draw the line? I'm sure all these people who are like defending that movie will also will then turn around and agree that like, well, Ed Wood movies are bad, right? So then they're gonna be like, well, it's oh, it's okay if you make fun of Ed Wood, but you can't make fun of Killer Shrews. Like, well, that's <laughs> your opinion. Where yeah. do you draw that line? Like. It's not the the people who create MST shouldn't have to check in with you to check which <laughs> movies are allowed to be made fun of, you know. I think one of the things you have to look at too is is the kind of humor in the films. Like a lot of their jokes aren't aimed at the movie. We talked about this earlier, but that's kind of getting back to like in Gamera versus uh, Giron. One of the jokes is in space, no one can hear you spin, and it's Gamera, you know, as he's traveling through space. Like it's just it's just a dumb little quip thing that's not aimed at the movie. It has nothing to do with the quality of the film. It's just a little quip that they're making as Gamera's flying through space. And the, the, the whole thing is, during that time, there was a bunch of space movies where in space no one can hear you scream. It's a clear aim at that. So, I mean, like, most of the humor isn't based on dogging the movie. It's based on other it's, stuff. It's situational based yeah. on what's happening like, on screen. Gamera versus Gauss. Like, there's a scene where the guy says, I'm hiding behind a dingleberry because it looks like he was during the movie. Like, <laughs> it, it's just, it's it's stupid fun humor. Or, it's a co- or it is a commentary on something that's happening in the movie, but something that is, like, valid. Like, a valid <laughs> joke about the movie that doesn't say, it's not, you're not attacking the movie. But, like like I said, my, my favorite example is in the, in the very first Gamera episode when the young child character, uh, Kenny, is talking to the government officials and he's telling them about how, how good Gamera is. And while he's saying this, like, Gamera is, like, attacking a village. <laughs> there, the military is, like, fighting him. And he's saying, like, oh, Gamera is so good, isn't he? And then the military official is like, yes, he is, uh, Kenny. And then Joel is like, yeah, what he's doing right now is sure a benefit to all of humanity, Kenny. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, see, that's, like, that's a valid joke to make in that moment. Yeah. You know? Well, I, 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 pull, I have another quote from Keep Watching the Skies. Which I do want to get. It's 
seems like it's a great book. Screw it. Regardless of the disagreement. <laughs> but it says, Sounds um, like junk. many of these movies have camp appeal. The special effects are often laughable. The attitudes of the characters is quaint and remote. The dialogue stilted and ridiculous. Some claim to enjoy these films because they're so bad they're good, but I largely reject that idea. I don't hold the films, even the worst, in contempt, which that attitude embodies. It's the viewpoint of an elitist certain that he would never make a movie of a quality that low, but the so bad they're good viewpoint can't be denied. It is part of the appeal of these films for many. Mystery Science Theater 3000 is just one of uh, the examples of exploiting and embracing that attitude. However, this does not explain the continuing lure of these old movies for all their new fans. Yeah, it does, actually. I feel like that's... Look, he said that the, he's contradictory. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that's like the most contradictory like block of information I've ever heard in my life. Because he starts saying like, "Oh, they're they're look, there's no denying that they're laughable and campy and corny." But at the same time, I don't like you shouldn't have a show that like points that out. Like what? Like and, and I, the and fact I, that and the fact that they're corny and campy, and then he says that doesn't explain the ongoing allure. Yes, it does. That people people continue to look. There's a reason why like certain movies from the 50s and 60s are still remembered and still watched today. And a lot of it, in a lot of those instances, are is because they're corny and campy, right? And they're remembered still more fondly and still played more than just forgettable kind of passe movies from the time. Well, uh, and, and I, I do want to make it clear: the only reason I'm, but this is like regarded as a, it's, it's it's a highly regarded book about the genre, which is why, you know, it's it's a credible book. I'm not; it's not just like I'm pulling quotes from some dumbass. Like this is a <laughs> this is an actual book that people like. Um, now. With, with the, I, I think that there's a little bit of a misunderstanding here because they say that it's they're holding the movies in contempt, and I just feel like I don't think this the show is that really what we said before. I don't think it's that mean. Like I feel I like it's that mean either. I don't think they would pick a film to, to feature on MST if they were like this is something that no one should see, and it's like this all they're like picking the movies that they know are going to be fun to watch. Yeah, like they're they're trying to bring attention to these films, and it's and it works too. They're, I mean, they are and, bringing. And as someone that does like earnestly bad movies and earnest movies, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes the, scared stupid. Sometimes they overlap. Yeah, <laughs> um, I I I kind of take issue with that because it's implying that I only like the movie because it's bad. I like any movie I like, whether it's a bad movie or a good movie. It's it's because I I am entertained by it and that I enjoy it. So. Well, and, there, and there's a big difference between that whole idea of like so good it's bad or so bad it's good and just a bad movie, right? Yeah, I've seen movies that I think are bad, and they're just like, well, I never want to revisit that or revisit it or um, same, the same thing. Right, but right. but then like a movie like Troll Two, you know, that's bad in a way where you're like, yeah, but I I love that movie now, yeah, yeah. and I'm gonna keep revisiting <laughs> it, and there's something special about it, and, and that's there, and that's the way I feel about the best MST episodes is, is there's something special about that movie that. Even though it's bad, there's something about it where you're like you kind of keep on coming back to it. And I, I know the troll movies weren't featured on MST, but those have legitimate special featured packed Blu-ray release from from Scream Factory. Like without, I guess that um, hey, let's watch, let's enjoy a movie on like a kind of ironic level. That that movie probably never would have gotten out of the VHS. Well, age. for those of you who haven't seen the documentary "Best Worst Movie" about Troll Two, um, you, I know you've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, it talks about like the the rediscovery of Troll Two and becoming this huge cult film is like the worst movie of all time, right? But the people who go to see that movie at those midnight screenings they do and who watch the movie consistently, 
there's a real love for that movie, right? They think it's the worst movie of all time, but they love it. And when they get to meet the cast members, they're not meeting them like, haha, you suck. They're like excited to meet them. There's like a genuine affinity for They're rock for stars it. to them. Yeah, there's a and, genuine and, and affinity for this kind of stuff. There's a whole point of that documentary where one of the stars gets so wrapped up like in feeling like a celebrity, mm-hmm. you know, and that there, there's a little bit of a shock when he is no longer yeah. in that environment. But that's my point of like saying like you can say they're like they're it's oh they're like trashing these movies and attacking them, but they're also uh, exposing them to an audience who might actually celebrate them as something. And maybe it's not what the original filmmaker intended, but I guarantee you it's probably more than that. Though most of the movies would have otherwise had right if, to live on as like a cult film is better than not living on at all. Yeah, I would um, think. So I mean, I, that's a- I'd rather be the guy responsible for space mutiny. <laughs> than the guy who made a movie that just was completely forgotten and you know. Not... And I mean, you look at some like movies, that, mainstream releases that just come and go. And I'm always fascinated by. And... So, I, like, just recently, I, at the uh, my local library has a you know not a great film book selection, but I was looking through some um, movie or some movie book, and it was nothing but movie posters of the '70s and '80s. And I'm always fascinated by. Because, you know, you and I are pretty well-versed in movies. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see posters for these films that came out in the 70s or 80s. They had, like, big stars in them, but you've never heard of that movie. And you just realize, like, that's a movie that came out, had big stars in it, and is, like, today completely forgotten. Like, it might as well not even exist. And that's kind of actually depressing when you think about it. Because mm-hmm. think about how many people worked on that movie. Like, it seemed like a lot of money was obviously put into it. And then it's just gone. It's just, yeah. like, forgotten. And it's like, that's that sucks, you know? And, like... The MST movies, you can't say that. Like, they're still there as a, as something, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, one of the first movies I saw in theaters was Prancer. Christmas yeah. movie. Like, Nobody remembering Prancer. Is that ever going to come to Blu-ray? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, Man No Sands of Fate as a Blu-ray release. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, one of our favorite, like, dumb movies is uh, the European slasher Pieces, which has... Mm-hmm. Probably one of the best Blu-rays I own. Yeah. Like, amazingly meticulous restoration. And I think without that, like, after-release cult following of, like, hey, you gotta see this crazy, goofy thing, that wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, I think that's enough of a spirited defense, but, I mean, let's talk Let's talk MST. Like, uh, I mean... Like, uh, well, first of all, I mean, Joel or Mike? Let's settle this. Okay. Well, I want to hear what you guys say before I weigh in on this. Um, I prefer Joel, but I really don't have too big of a preference. I don't think they're that much different, to be honest. I think Joel's humor is a little more dry, um, maybe a little more like sardonic. But uh, I mean, I like them both. I think I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't have much of a preference. They both have great episodes. I don't even know if. We, I haven't seen enough to really give you, like, an informed opinion, I think. Yeah. To be honest with you. Like, most of my exposure has been to the to the monster episodes. Uh, my, my favorites so far have been Megalon and The Deadly Mantis were my, were my top two. Like, if I were to narrow it down, that, that was one of each. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. So, man. If you, I mean, if you put me in a spot, I prefer Mike. But here's where that comes from. It's only because... I prefer Mike's era of the show more. Um, with Joel, I think like Mike's host segments are a little funnier to me because they got to be eventually more surreal and just they did more wacky kind of really odd stuff in his host segments. 
Whereas a lot of Joel's segments were like things like Invention Exchange and kind of these yeah. like these bits with like the robots where they're just kind of riffing more on the movie, like coming up with some kind of list that ties into the movie. The Mike era started to have host segments that kind of like were very loosely connected to the movie and just doing like crazy stuff. And I also think like in the early Joel run, especially in season one, um, the Kitma stuff one that we won't even talk about, but season one of County Central and a little bit into season two, the the show hadn't quite found the consistency yet. And I'm sure you guys have seen some early episodes, like even those monster ones, where you can kind of feel like a lot of times the jokes really feel more like they're just kind of like kind of commenting on something that's happening on the screen and making like, oh, look at that thing happening. And it's like, eh, I, I felt like the, the writing got more strong and more consistent in the later half of the run. And that's all Mike stuff. And I'm actually kind of in a, I think I'm in a minority of MST fans where like my favorite era of the show is actually the sci-fi channel era, which is the last three seasons. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's Mike as the host. That said, obviously Joel created the show. You got to give him all the credit. And it's always kind of bummed me out that the movie stars Mike instead of Joel. I feel like that should have been Joel. Um, uh, bring it into the kai- back to kaiju real quick. Um, do you have? Do either of you have like a favorite? Uh, we'll we'll do. Do you have a favorite Gamera episode? I think the first one is the, is the best. One? Yeah, I think they. I think they're just so. It's such a great. It, it's for looks for me. That was the, my that was my introduction to Gamera. I didn't know what Gamera was until yeah. I saw that first episode. And I think, like I said, I think they nail like the. The relationship between Gamera and Kenny provides so many great jokes. Um, the the song Tom Sorrows sings about Tibby, the the <laughs> turtle that Kenny is forced to get rid of, is great. Um, I really I like that first one a lot. I, I don't think you can go wrong with the Gamera episode, but that first one's great. Yeah, Gauss, Gauss, the one we just watched. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Did you have any favorite moments from that one? Uh, yeah, there there were two actually. There was one where like uh, he's referring to. Uh, Ichi, he's a kid, and he's like, "Can Ichi come out and play?" It's like a weird, he has like a weird voice, and then there's a uh, the I'm hiding behind a dingleberry thing. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, mine is Giron. Uh, I actually really like that movie without MST because it's just the right kind of super fast paced, illogical, just goofy fun that I like. But MST really, I just felt like that was one of the episodes where they just nailed everything. Like, uh, for some reason, the the main child, he talks about, like, the atrocities of the world a lot. He'll say, like, you know, uh, starvation and uh, stuff like that. And, like, like without, he's like, you know, I want a, a world without war and hunger and traffic accidents. And he says it, like, a hundred <laughs> times. And and the, the, the hosts are very quick to be like, what is up with the traffic accidents? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also you have like the goofy like neighbor character and like in the dub you can't really understand what his name is like, like corn job corn job one of the jokes that is at the movie's expense that always makes me crack up is when they first show Giren like coming out of the ground he's like <laughs> like uh, <laughs> I'm sorry they only they only had like two days to make me <laughs> that's a good one um, and it's just, it's full of just great moments. Like one thing that I'm sure you guys and anyone listening to this is familiar with, like is when you do a dub, you have to kind of like keep keep the words in the mouth mash as best as you can. So like a lot of the time, there's like these connectors in in these sentences. Like, but still, 
or and then and then like at the beginning of the episode like the <laughs> the the guy giving like the exposition like the the scientist keeps doing that and like they <laughs> they they make fun of that a little bit and i mean that's the kind of that's what it's one of my favorite episodes ever um and uh really probably the weakest one is probably Zegra, which is probably the weakest of those movies that movie's um, terrible but that has another one of those things that's in the dub is just inexplicable it's like the little girl is always asking for Coca-Cola. And, you know, they're, again, they're very quick to be like, what is up with her in the, in the Coke? Um, uh, but, no, the, the, all the Gamera episodes are great. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, also, we, we should have to talk about... The, they did two Godzilla movies. They did Sea Monster, which I just watched, and that episode's okay. It's, yeah, it's okay. Um, I thought it was... My my favorite joke in the Sea Monster one though is um uh the red bamboo guy that has the eye patch um played by, by Akahiko Hirata yeah um there's a part where uh <laughs> uh he he's like reporting back to his boss and he's like uh and his boss says something like what have you gone blind or something? And then, and then, and then, the, and then the, the riff is he's like, I don't think that's very funny, sir. <laughs> um, that episode's okay, but I think I think the three of us need to talk about the Godzilla versus Megalon episode. That's actually I, I I would go back. I would say Megalon's my favorite episode, but Me- but Deadly Mantis is probably second. Yeah. Megalon is an amazing episode. It's a classic. Yeah. It is. I mean, you're dealing with such a. I don't care if you're look. Sorry, Godzilla fans. You're dealing with a really dumb movie yeah. at that point. Um, and, I mean, if you like the movie, fine. But I'm talking about, like, dumb in, like, a charming way. Yeah. And they find just the right balance. Like, because, like, I mean, everything hits in that episode. <laughs> I mean, that, that, it is the best way to watch Megalon. Like, I don't yeah. think I ever want to go back and watch Megalon in another way. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing about Megalon is that... The 70s were, like, the wackiest era of Godzilla yeah. movies. But and that's what I say when I Megalon say... When I say like, Megalon is the height of yeah, and when I say dumb, that's what I mean. I don't mean dumb in a way like where I hate the movie. I'm saying dumb in a way like it's like it's a crazy wacky film. Yeah, there's no other Godzilla movie like it in that, um, like it was begging to be like on that show and (laughs) like uh like in every like they they notice things that like. Uh, one of my favorite jokes is like the dub. I don't. I. I don't know if it was just recorded with a low budget and poor sound equipment, but like you can barely understand what some people are saying, and it's like that on like even like the. I have the Media Blasters DVD, which is like a decent like you know. Hey, we actually like have good sound on this, and like you hear like the peas pop. Uh, <laughs> there's a part where I think he's trying to say it's it could be damn dangerous, but it sounds <laughs> like he's saying. It could be daft dangerous, <laughs> and they're like daft dangerous. Like um, when Godzilla does the tail slide, he does it like several times, and each time he does it, they're like, "Oh wait, let me try it again. I can do it better this time." Like I don't know. I think that's funny. The tail slide actually ended up in the MST opening uh, yeah, credits for like yeah. a long time, yeah, because uh, it's such a funny image. Um, and then I mean, just I mean, look the the Jet Jaguar song. Yeah, like, when they <laughs> subtitle the Jet Jaguar yeah. song um, is. It's glorious. It's, it's transcendent. Yeah. It's. I just rewatched that episode the other day, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is this is still hilarious." Mm-hmm. One of my favorite jokes is when they uh, like the bad guys like trash the lab, and they first get back, like uh, when they're walking in, 
one guy's like, it would be funny if the they they destroyed your robot, and then they're like, yeah, it'd be funny if they murdered your family. <laughs> I remember laughing out loud hysterically at the first time I heard it. Yeah, like, uh, and the Daft Dangerous part I rewound like five times. I, I don't know. And like, that's the thing. I, I enjoy Godzilla vs. Megalon. A lot of it is nostalgia, but um, man, I mean, even the if you love how no matter how much you you love that movie, you gotta you gotta be able to see how silly it is. Yeah, you gotta be able to laugh at yeah. it. Yeah. Um, As we're since we're talking about these kaiju films, can I read something from the MST? Um, so I have the Mystery Science Theater three thousand episode guide, and I wanted to read this bit from uh, it's actually from the Gamera episode, episode three hundred two, just which is the film Gamera. And for this episode guide, it's it's not a print book now, but uh, it came out kind of mid the show's run, so it's got the first um, six seasons in here and a preview of the seventh. But um, they would ask like the different writers to write different re- like remembrances of the films they watched and the episodes. And I want to read you guys uh, the the write up that Kevin Murphy did for Gamera, which I think is really funny and ties into this idea of a lot of these kaiju films. Right? It says. Um, in Japan, there is a class of children who are, well, special. They're better than the average citizen. They dwell in a world of wealth, privilege, and influence few adults ever dream of attaining. These are the monster children. The merest, most remote chance encounter with a monster sweeps the child into the inner circle of Japanese military and government security and strategic planning. The child in this movie, Kenny, is immediately listened to and his advice is heeded. His orders carried out to the letter. Whisked along on helicopters, rushed to disaster scenes and motorcades, guarded with the very lives of the elite security forces, the monster child is a treasure to the Japanese, matched only by the emperor and his family. <laughs> Scolded only with his best interests in mind, the monster boy feels free to capriciously break the rules and put others in mortal danger, because he knows that his protectors would rather be crushed to death than let a single hair on the monster boy's head be put out of place. Be it Giron, Baragorn, Megalon, Zegra, Mothra, Gaios... Mouse, Gamera, Blackula, Hard Rock, Coco, or Joe. <laughs> One stupid encounter with a rubber creature over 10 feet tall ensures the lucky Japanese boy of a life of leisure, glamour, adventure, fame, and great fortune. And they laugh at us. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a great like commentary on that like that trope. Yeah. Well, I mean, that era... I mean, the Gamera movies are the ones that really ran with it. That mm-hmm. era, like... And they were really making them for kids. Like, they always had to have that kid. And the Gamera movies are amazing because the kids always, like, are in these, like, military yeah. <laughs> briefings. Bossing them around. That's what Shin Godzilla needed in all those meetings was a... A kid? <laughs> yeah. was a kid. <laughs> um, uh, I, was, I was surprised that sometimes they were actually, like, a little bit kind of educational about the movie, too. I watched um, the one for Black Scorpion in, uh, in one of the, like segments crows like no you know stop motion by ray harryhausen and then joel drops in he's like Mm -hmm. actually crow this was by willis o'brien who created king kong and mighty joe young they call him the godfather of special effects and i i I don't know for sure i can't say for sure on each instance but i because you asked when when you asked me about that like can you find stuff about you know whether they like these films or not i think anytime something like that happens if especially if it's in like the first you know half of the you know run of the show I think chances are really good it comes from Frank Conniff. Mm-hmm. Frank Conniff is really like he's encyclopedic in his film knowledge. And if you follow him on any social media or have like looked at his other writing, like post MST, you'll know that this guy is like a crazy movie nerd. And in particular, he's not a huge fan of like modern films. 
but like loves old films and like knows all the old actors, the old stars, knows all the old directors and special yeah. effects. Makers. So he would know the difference between Harryhausen for sure, and Brian, for sure. Yeah. And he would, and he like, and that's right. I think he has a, I think he has a real affinity for these films. Not so much that he doesn't mind making fun of them, but he, but he has, he mm. sees the charm of them. And then the other one I liked was, um, you know, they do like their segment at the beginning where they introduce the movie for the Gorgo episode. They actually brought on Leonard Malton, who likes the movie and he was talking about like why he likes it and where it came from and stuff like that and i I think like they don't have to do that a show Mm -hmm. like this doesn't have to bring in like a famous critic to talk about this b movie you know Mm -hmm. so although they sure went after leonard malton for giving laser blast two and a half stars (laughs) that's a great episode laser blast yeah that's Um, the last comedy central episode so uh i guess getting in a little more of the history what did happen with like why why did joel leave Okay, so this is like a somewhat complicated story, but at the time, so I should actually, this is a good story because this actually ties into how I discovered MST. So I don't know, like you, I, I think I found it probably earlier than you guys did, but I'll always remember the way I found it was I had, I got uh, an issue of TV Guide that had an article about this show called Mystery Science Theater. And what the article was about was saying, oh, Joel, the host of the show is leaving soon and being replaced with this guy named Mike. And I'd never heard of the show, but it had a picture of the two of them. And I read the little write-up, and I was like, oh, that sounds like something I could watch. And, I, you know, at that time, I I think I just got Comedy Central, like, a little while ago. And, uh, Bird, do you remember when Comedy Central, like, first showed up in our, like, our, like mm-hmm. cable? Yeah, it was with Cartoon Network. And- yeah, and, uh, you know, because it was, comedy, when, the, when MST first came to Comedy Central, it was actually called the Comedy Channel. And it turned into Comedy Central. And people might not remember this, but back in the day... Comedy Central was full of programming that looked like Mystery Science Theater. It was all kind of cheap. Um, like almost, it was very public access looking. There was the there was like a sketch comedy show that came out of Seattle. It was called Almost Live. Is that the one with Amy had, Sedaris and Stephen Colbert and like? Uh, oh, that was some, that from. was different later. The Almost Live one had Bill Nye on it actually. Okay, but um, the British Bill Nye or the Science Guy? The Science Guy. Okay. Um, but MST was like on there, and so. I started watching the show right as Joel was leaving. I think I was like, oh, I want, I want to watch this show. And I got into it, and Joel, I saw Joel for like a month or so, and then Mike came on. And then thanks to reruns, because they would re-show it a lot, because County Central didn't have a lot of programming back then. I got to see still a lot of Joel ones, as the Mike ones were the new ones. They were showing old Joel ones. Um, and at the time, Joel's official story was, it was that typical, like, I feel like I've done what I can with the show. I want to go out and do new things. I want to, you know, explore new, you know, um, avenues and create new t- TV shows. And then he kind of, you know, vanished a little bit. He did this one pilot for Comedy Central called TV Wheel, which is actually kind of a cool idea, but they only made the one episode. I don't know if you remember this at all, Bert. No, absolutely not. What the TV Wheel was was that it was actually a stationary camera with a, a, sta- a round circular stage built around it that you could spin. And so they would, they would spin the wheel and it would bring a new set in front of the camera and they would do a skit and as they were doing that, they were quickly redressing all the other stations of this wheel. Then they'd spin it again, and you'd be on a different set. And so you could do that for like half an hour and create huh. all these different skits. Only did one pilot. I'm sure it was like a pain in the ass to do, you know. <laughs> but so for like a long time, that was like, I think most people just assume like, ah, yeah, Joel got tired, decided to leave, and they handed it over to Mike, who Mike was the head writer of the show from the beginning and had appeared in a lot of skits. He actually plays Gamera in the uh, Gamera episode when he comes and visits the ship. Um, so fans fans knew him already, yeah. and he took over as the host. And later, finally later on, years down the line after the show had ended, Joel finally kind of told the truth about what happened. And it was that him and Jim Mallon, who was the producer, had a falling out. They weren't getting along anymore, 
and they're just two butting heads, and Joel was really getting frustrated there and felt like the show was evolving in a way he wasn't comfortable with. And from what I understand, the thing that finally brought it to a head and caused him to leave was that there was they were starting talks about doing a movie. And they, they started talks with major studios, and we're going to do this movie. And Jim Mallon just decided, like, yeah, okay, we'll do the movie, and I'll direct. And Joel was like, well, well, well wait a minute. We are, we're co-creators. Why are you just going to, like, direct? And Mallon's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the guy who, like, runs the show. And I think that was the final straw for Joel. And he was like, you know what? It's clear me and you aren't getting along anymore. You are taking complete ownership of this. I'm going to head out. So I, that's what happened. And I think for too long, fans thought there was some kind of like weird rift between Joel and Mike. Not true at all. It, it is the thing where Joel and Mike aren't best friends. You don't get a sense of like they don't hang out and they don't talk that often, I don't think. But they certainly like each other. And Joel has been very kind and said that you know, it took him a while to kind of be willing to go back and look at it because I think it was a painful thing for him to leave. But he said once he started revisiting the show, you know, he's like, oh, a lot of these Mike episodes are great. He's like, I really like it. They did great stuff with the show. And Joel actually is the one who every year now hosts the Turkey Day Marathon they do on Shout Factory. And he's definitely been totally willing to have Mike episodes in there. And I'm actually really glad that um, soon there's going to be a third iteration with a new host. Because I think having a third host will finally put this whole Joel and Mike thing to rest. Mm. Because once you have a third host, I think then it becomes clear of like, I think what Joel always envisioned it to be of a show that can keep going forever with different hosts. When you only have two, it becomes a fight. It becomes a yeah. debate, right? When you have multiple ones, then it's just like, oh, it's just a show that goes on and on with different Marvel hosts. versus DC. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so that's why that happened. But to, to, but to, to put the cap on that and to go back to your question earlier, I should have said this earlier. The, the, yeah, the Mike Joel debate is dumb. If you're, I've never met, I, everyone seems to have, a, everyone can have a preference, but I don't know that I've ever met an MST fan who's like, well, I'll only watch the Joel ones or I'll only watch the Mike <laughs> ones. It's like, they're both great for mm-hmm. different reasons. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like, um, getting away from like the Kaiju stuff a little more do you have any other favorite episodes i mean so many i mean there's the obvious classics right look everyone should see what's the rosdauer one final sacrifice that was amazing that's a great one everyone should see i mean i think the essentials the clear essentials to me if we're gonna cut out like gamera and godzilla and all that here's the other clear essentials everyone needs to see manos the hands of fate obviously would you put megalon i think megalon is an essential yeah Yeah. (laughs) but everyone should see manos everyone should see uh pod people Another great Joel one. I think everyone should see Mitchell, the episode where Joel leaves, which is just a great episode even beyond that. Um, I think everyone should see Final Sacrifice. I think everyone should see Space Mutiny. That's a great one. I think if you're a fan of uh, the show and not just like the you know the overall story of the show, everyone should check out Soul Taker because it is the episode where Joel comes back in, during the Micron and they have a scene together. So it's kind of fun to see the two of them together. Um. One of my favorites is Giant Spider Invasion from the Sci-Fi Channel era. I feel like that's a really underrated episode. And then another classic Joel one is um, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, obviously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, those are all... I mean, I think mine would have pretty much all of those in there. Yeah. Um, uh, man, Pod People's when I got to revisit. Pod People's great, and it's it's fu- it's doubly funny now because the uh, the creature, the alien, in it is called Trumpy. <laughs> oh man, yeah. so old. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I liked, uh, I really like Gunslinger. Gunslinger is great, like a Roger Corman western. Um, one of many, one of a, quite a few films they did with Beverly Garland, who was one of the first. Um, Beverly Garland was a very um, prominent uh, Roger Corman actress, who was one of the first. Um, 
people that was featured in the show to kind of really uh, respond to it in a positive way. And she actually came and was like the featured guest at their first convention. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, is it Teenagers from Mars or Teenagers from Space? Teenagers from Outer Space. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a good one too. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, you need to watch more. This one. Oh, yeah. Time of the Apes also. Oh yes. Oh my gosh. We're talking about like the Japanese kaiju movies, but uh, just talking about Japanese sci-fi and tokusatsu, there was a uh, Time of the Apes, which was a Japanese TV show made by Subaraya, who you know, famous for Ultraman, um, and it was very clear cash in on Planet of the Apes. Sandy Frank bought the rights to do to com- do that thing where they combined four episodes to make it into a movie. And uh, that is a fantastic episode. Mm-hmm. That's got to be one of my favorites. They Mighty actually... Jack, Mighty Jack is a... Mighty Jack's okay. Yeah, Mighty Jack's okay. No, Mighty, I don't think it's an essential. Mighty Jack was kind of the another Super Aya production that Sandy Frank bought and did four episodes as a movie thing. But I think the most famous joke in that is like... It's kind of like a Japanese tokusatsu riff on like Bond. But it, like... They're getting, like, the exposition from their boss who's smoking a pipe and, like, in between, like... Like, they're making it sound like he's, like, smoking, like, a a bong. And he's, like... <laughs> <laughs> like, taking these deep breaths and that just goes on and on. Um, that's a great joke. No, Time of the Apes is great. Time of the Apes, uh, they... the I think Frank has talked about this. A lot of them, uh, a lot of the guys involved in MST really credit that show as... That episode as being a very important one for them because they said that... That was one of the shows that really blew them up. They said that was an episode that was very easy to point to and say, here's a concept people can wrap their heads around if it's a Japanese Planet of the Apes ripoff. And by being a movie that people could kind of get the, the joke instantly of saying, oh, that's a ripoff of Planet of the Apes. You'll notice, well, you won't notice anymore because you can't. But back <laughs> in the day, I remember that a lot of the commercials for MST would use clips of that episode because they said like it was easy for people to get like, oh, they're making fun of a, a Planet of the Apes ripoff. Mm. So that episode is huge for them. A lot of great jokes in that one about um, throwing poop. I remember like, that's a big <laughs> thing. And uh, there's like the kid ape. The Johnny doesn't care. Why doesn't Johnny care? Yeah, and why doesn't great. Johnny care? Yeah. Um, that is the only. That's other not one the kid ape. That's the human kid. Yeah, like whenever okay. they like, they're t- they're warning him about all this different stuff, and he's just like, "I don't care." And so they make like a whole like they make an they make an educational film called "Why Doesn't Johnny Care?" Um, yeah, that's the only other one I have in like a DVD set because I got it like on sale, but it's got Mighty Jack and Time of the Apes. So me being a Subaraya guy, I'm like, okay, I'd like to own those in some capacity. Yeah. But also has like the Brute Man, the Universal movie. Uh, that's okay. And um, oh, Hobgoblins! Hobgoblins is another one that everyone should see. Yeah. that one's great. Return to Boggy Creek. Um, but yeah, the the time of the the set with time of the apes and the Gamera one, they have like special features about the actual movies. Like both of those have interviews with August Rigoni, who anyone listening probably knows who that is. And I think the Gamera one has uh, stump stuff with the Chiodo brothers talking mm-hmm. about how they just love Gamera, you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, there is something. The DVD sets have even like made a point to say like hey we can actually like educate you about yeah. these movies a little bit should we briefly should we briefly talk about mystery science theater 3000 the movie i know you guys wanted to ask yeah, me about it but i mean so that the movie was this island earth that they watched on mystery science theater the movie and i guess there was some controversy because they had shown a cut down or truncated version one of the most outspoken critics of that was was joe dante because um, i mean you know i mean he's a into like He's a super hardcore, like old Universal sci-fi fan. 
Um, and he really took offense to that. So, and he probably would be, man. I've seen, I think it was Trace again, or it was either Trace or Mike, but one of them definitely said that they kind of said, like, you know, sure, it's a classic, but, you know, anyway, you look at it, it's really not that good of a movie. And I know obviously people would agree with that or disagree with that, I yeah, should say. Yeah. But, um, so I know you guys had asked me before we recorded this, like, why did they not like making the movie? Because that's kind of come out since mm-hmm. then. And this actually ties into what I think makes MST special. And why I'm slightly concerned about the new version, but we'll see. The thing I think that makes MST so special is that it was never like a studio or network thing. Like when they got bought by Comedy Central, the the rule they had, they said, look, look, we'll gladly be on your network, but we want to keep everything here in Minneapolis. And all the writers and all the performers were Minneapolis comedians the studio they filmed the show was just like this little rinky-dink kind of building in Minneapolis. The, the company they created was called Best Brains Incorporated. They had this little, you know, five-room or whatever little headquarters they did the show out of. And they said, you know, like, with because we were in Minneapolis, like, no Comedy Central executives were flying to Minneapolis to check in on us. We could just do whatever we wanted, had no studio notes, and we created the show we want, wanted to make. And, you know, you've seen the show now, Matt, you've seen more episodes. It's like it has a really cheap look to it that I think adds to the show. It, it gives it a certain aesthetic. It's interesting now because there's, like, this whole nostalgia nowadays for, like, these, like, these cheap kind of public access looking things. Like, people try to recreate that now, um, whereas it was just genuine coming from them, right? And when they did the movie, they said, like, they were, that was the first time they really had, like, someone ordering them around a little bit. You know, Universal was giving them notes. Universal was popping in and saying, you can't do that joke. Oh, you should try this joke instead. And it was, like, a whole new thing for them that they weren't very comfortable with. And the first test screenings didn't go that well. And they were just kind of called, like, the, the people were calling it average. So Universal came in and made them reshoot some stuff. They had to reshoot some of the host segments. And then they started cutting it down, and they cut a lot of stuff out, and they ended up with like a 70-minute movie, which is actually shorter than a, a normal episode of MST, which is 90 minutes without commercials. So I don't, I, I have a feeling that it sounds like they might have done like a more, a more full version of the movie, but after, getting, after going through everything with Universal, it got cut down to barely nothing. Universal released it. It actually did fairly well for the release they gave it the first weekend, but then Universal basically just like pulled it out of theaters did it the get second it the- weekend. I don't remember. Yeah, I saw the theater. Okay. So... Was the cutting down of this island Earth? Was that part of they just wanted to get the runtime down? Or? Yeah, I think I, I think it's both. I think they they I think they took a version where they edited it a little bit to cut out some stuff that they felt like was maybe a little slow and didn't wasn't very riffable. But then I also think it got cut down just through like the test screening process okay. and kept getting cut down until they ended up with a okay. very short. Because yeah, I, I feel because like if you think about it, the mystery science three thousand the movie is only seventy minutes. And then that's that's include the, uh, including the idea that it has host segments, just like the show does. Yeah. So the version of this Island Earth they show is like 50 minutes. fifty-five minutes yeah, or something. Yeah, it's really short. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. But that being said, I think it's actually a really good. I mean, I I like it. It's it's fun. So I I guess the I do you think people maybe think that they they because I mean this Island Earth I agree it's not one of the better Universal sci-fi movies of that time, but. You think people were under the impression that they took a movie that is considered good and then cut it to make it look like something it's not? Um, maybe. I don't Yeah, I... Because I, regardless, it doesn't seem like that was the case. Yeah. I think for, and I think in their thinking, I, I, to them, I believe, they, they were under the impression that if we're going to make a movie, we have to do some kind of film that's kind of known and is maybe a little bit more classic. Okay. I think if they had... I don't know this for sure. I've never talked to them about this, but... I bet if they could like redo that, they'd probably be better off doing finding something like Manos or something and having that be the movie, right? Um, just something that's like more 
oh, the worst thing ever. Right? Maybe like, so, did they do ever do Plan Nine? They don't. They don't. They did Plan Nine as a riff track. Okay, because maybe like some some, did, maybe yeah. something like that where mm-hmm. it's famous, but it doesn't have the. Yeah, that might have been too obvious, though. I wonder, like, if in their yeah. mind of like Plan Nine being like, the first <laughs> mystery science theater movie. Although, really, it's kind of surprising that wasn't the movie, right? That seems yeah. like such an obvious thing. To um. So, what can what I guess what. Are any of the... I know Jim Malin, who it sounds like isn't very well-liked. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the general perception is of Malin now. I don't. I know, like, they did a whole... Like, a few years ago, they did a big reunion of everyone at, at the Comic-Con, and Malin was there. Um, but I also know, like, Malin, like, Malin tried to restart MST3K, you know, himself a few years ago. I don't know if you remember this. He, like, started MST3K.com as a website where... It was only he was making these like flash animation cartoons of Crow and Tom Servo, and they were really bad. And it was like uh, I think it left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And um, I think everyone's pretty happy that it seems like Control has reverted fully back to Joel. But okay. but what were you about to ask? Sorry. Well, I was just gonna say with with the new thing coming up, I know Joel's a producer. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Malin's involved. Malin's not, as, Malin's not involved. Oh, he's not? No. Did he just sell the rights off? Yeah, did, I think he. I don't think he has anything to do with it anymore. I think Shout Factory kind of bought it from him. Does he um, own any portion of it? I don't, I don't know all the business okay. perspective. But from what I understand, I believe Shout Factory kind of owns more of MST now. And, and then are working with Joel on this. Okay. So, as far as like writing, are any of the classic writers involved? Not in like a regular capacity, no. They've said that maybe they would come in and do episodes, but... There was a whole thing when it came out where Frank and Trace kind of sounded a little frustrated that they felt like Joel kind of announced this whole thing and got it going without talking to any of the original cast and stuff, Ooh. which, you know, at the time I felt like kind of upset about. And then as I looked more into it, I, I started to turn like a little bit like, well, but Joel seems like he kind of got dicked around this whole thing. He's just trying to take back what was originally his. And then they did Rift Tracks did. Um, so Rift Tracks, people might not know what we're even talking about after MST was canceled eventually from the sci-fi channel in 1999. There was this really sad period for people like me where it just seemed like, Oh, nobody would, we, we, me and other fans tried to get a campaign going to get other networks to take it for a hot second. It looked like A&E was going to pick it up. And then that didn't happen. Um, and there was just like nothing, right? There's just like this void of like no MST. And I was like, I really thought like, Oh, this show is going to be forgotten. Like no one will remember it. And then they started releasing VHS copies and I was buying those. And then they started doing DVDs. Like, Oh, okay. It's coming back a little bit. And then I think, you know, YouTube, people started upload episodes, and you can find almost every episode in its entirety on YouTube now. Um, but then the people, like, so the MST people, the performers, kind of started to get back together and work, and it was initially like two kind of camps. There was Joel, and some of the original people were doing cinema ti- uh, Cinematic Titanic, which was just kind of like MST, you know, same thing with the silhouettes. And then Mike... Kevin and Bill are doing. We're doing riff tracks, which actually started as them just creating these MP3 riff commentaries that you would play while you watched a movie, and then that started to really grow. Cinematic Titanic eventually became more of like a live thing where they were going and doing live shows. I went and saw them do one, and then it just kind of fell apart, unfortunately. But riff tracks has continued to grow. Continues to they continue to put out um, both riffs for like big mainstream movies, as you were saying, and they also do um, cheesy B movies that are more like the MST ones. And you can buy all these on their website. And they also do these live ones, like about once a month, where they do it live in a, sh- in a theater in Nashville, and they simulcast those to theaters around the nation. That's a long way to get back to my original point <laughs> of saying, 
uh, uh, last year they did a, a mystery science theater full reunion one where they brought back everyone and you find and like you got to see Joel and Mike on stage together and all the people who were there and it really looked like from what I could tell it seemed like I mean Malin wasn't there but in terms of like the cast and everyone everyone seems to get along and they're fine and I know the Rift Tracks people have said they're happy that MST is coming back of course they are right more recognition for that brings more attention to them and vice versa so it's kind of cool now that if you're an MST fan we're going to have Rift Tracks and we're going to have a new version of Mystery Science 3000. You're kind of getting, you know, more content than you used to get. So, um, so what are you expecting from the new season is my question. I don't know yet. My thing is I'm, I'm super happy it's coming back. It, even if I don't like it, I'm not going to care because I'll just have the, uh, the mentality of, all right, this isn't my Mystery Science Theater 1000. I like the older era, and it's this isn't what I like, but I'm cool. it's cool it's back, and hopefully it has new fans. That being said, if I like it, then it's just like my favorite show is back, right? We have a new host in Jonah Ray, who's a comedian I'm not actually a huge fan of, but I think he'll be fine as an MST host, because it's not like watching him do stand-up. It's more like he just has to do the skits and then riff in the theater. Um the thing I think is kind of weird is having kind of known people on it. Felicia Day and Patton Oswalt are playing the new villains. And I think that's kind of weird. I'm, I'm a little worried that that homegrown aspect I talked about will be absent now. That's my biggest concern of it feeling maybe too polished and too professional. But we'll see. Are you just going to like binge it all? Like that's a, I mean, look, they're going to be two hour episodes. Yeah. You know, that is one of the things that made MST a difficult show for networks. I admit, like, you know, when, when Comedy Central and Sci-Fi would point to like their problems with it, it's like, well, we have to that's a two hour block of programming, you know, and Kevin central was doing, I don't know if you remember this, the MST hour where they're taking episodes and splitting them into two hours, you know, things that they could show, but yeah. So I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to binge 12 episodes <laughs> of a two hour show. I'll probably do like one every couple of days or something. One thing I used to like is they used to do the summer movie previews where they would riff on like the big summer movies mm-hmm. coming out. Like I remember like uh 98, I think like, Halloween H2O came out, and they kept calling it Halloween Water. <laughs> um, oh. And then, uh, like, they did, like, Men in Black, X-Files, and um, they tried to do the 98 Godzilla, but, like, Toho and TriStar wouldn't let them, so they kind of, like, took, like, a toy, like, lizard and, like, just, like, made their own, like, skit around it. Um those were a lot of fun. I yeah. don't know. And of course, you know, on Comedy Central, like right every Thanksgiving, they did the Turkey Day Marathon where they yeah. showed episodes all day. And that's that's retained a tradition of now they do that. You stream it through Shout Factory, uh, through YouTube or their website. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they'll be able to do something like Summer Movie Preview again. Oh, the Armageddon one was really great, too. When they did oh, man, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, those have to be on YouTube. Someone has to put those on YouTube. Right. I also remember like Joel or um, Crow and Tom Servo hosted an episode of Talk Soup. I remember <laughs> that would have been um, yeah. Um, um, they actually popped talk up. Soup still a thing? No, not anymore. Is it became soup it, no. It, talk Soup evolved into the Soup, and that ran for a long time, but that's over now too. Okay. Um, there was a show on ESPN Classic called Cheap Seats with Dave. Yeah, with, yeah, with Ron yeah. Parker or whatever, which was just a takeoff on MST. It was like the Sklar Brothers doing MST with sports shows. But there was an episode of that where Crow and Tom Servo came on. That's pretty um, sweet. And they even had a joke where they said, like, this is stupid. Like, who would watch a show with people just watching stuff? Yeah. And I am happy that Rift Tracks is continuing also. Because mm-hmm. um, that's almost like if you don't like the new uh, MST, it's like you still have Rift Tracks. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I guess relating to this, the the two relevant to to this podcast uh, were and were uh, we saw them do Mothra and uh, Godzilla ninety eight, which was a Kickstarter. Yeah, and then the the stretch goals were met, so they were able to get the rights to do Anaconda, which was also awesome. But mm-hmm. the Godzilla ninety eight one was great. Yeah, it's a really good one. Yeah. Um, I would say if you ever get a chance to go to those live ones, check it out because they they did say that was one that was one thing that really bummed them out about the movie not working, is they said that people some people had a weird thing of like why would I go to the movies to watch people watch a movie, but they said like the one thing they realized is it actually does work really well in a, in a theater setting because you're watching with a lot of other people and it's just you know laughter is contagious and if they're mm-hmm. really going like in the theater you, you we've been there like a good joke can get like everyone going yeah and it is fun to watch them riff like in a theater experience so that's why I think it's cool that Rift Tracks is able to do those monthly now. Um, a riff tracks that they didn't do live that I have downloaded because I know someday we're going to have to talk about it on Kaiju Transmissions, and I don't know if I can stomach it again, but I saw they did Dragon Wars. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so it's That's like, a good episode, actually. I've is seen it? it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm looking forward to it. And then yeah. That makes me want to make want to do that episode sooner just so I can watch that. Yeah. But Did you see Dragon Wars? I did, yeah. yeah. It's not good. No. I saw it in the theater. That's actually one of like, the first riff tracks, I think. Really? It's a really early one, yeah. Because, I mean, I was like, it's a Korean giant monster movie. It's getting a wide release. I'm going to see it out of obligation. Then I was like, oh, my God. What did that I, was, I remember, I remember, it's the, I remember <laughs> how confusing that was that that movie came out. Yeah. It was so because weird. you were hoping, like, after the host, there'd be something else. that uh, would, yeah. yeah. I should have known something was up when I saw it was the director of Reptilian. <laughs> um, oh, man. Reptilian. That's a... Yeah. Get excited for, to watch that, man. Woohoo! <laughs> um... I mean, we covered a lot. No. Yeah, I mean, look, if I look, you could get me going. I could talk about like my favorite like villains and like the yeah. evolution of the show. I mean, I could talk about how the sci-fi era is the only era that had kind of a storyline running through mm-hmm. it. Um, there was a weird mandate when they first came on the Sci-Fi Channel that they were only supposed to do sci-fi movies, which was new, and then Sci-Fi kind of abandoned that in the last season. Um, I could talk about like the the painfulness of it getting canceled, but I mean, it's like whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like my favorite show I could go on and on, but yeah, I just want. I hope. This episode, if anyone is listening to us who has, is not familiar with the show and is like us and likes these old, kind of just charming, cheesy old movies, I think you owe it to yourself to, to visit this show. Yeah. And, th- and like I said, thanks to YouTube, it's a very easy show to uh, to kind of dive into. Is that how you were watching them, Matt, on YouTube? or? There's actually, yeah, YouTube, there's actually some websites, too, that have like mm. literally everything. Yeah, there's like mm-hmm. MST like sites where they have links to every... Yeah. By the way, my dad uh, likes the show, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome. Cool. He said it was. Fun. Yeah, my parents were like my my dad. My parents always acted like they didn't like it, but then whenever like I'd have an episode on, they would like and they would sit there and they'd laugh at it. And then I remember I want I really wanted to go see it in a theater, and like I said, it was a very tiny release, and we had to drive to a, a theater that was like a lot farther than our usual theater. And they're like, "Oh, fine, we'll take you to see your movie." And they they were like laughing, of course. Like, <laughs> yeah, they, you know, yeah, but, I hate this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, we covered the history. We covered its relevance to the kaiju genre. And we talked about our favorite episodes, and we talked about where it is now. I mean, we we covered a lot of ground in under an hour and a half. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't have much to add other than I mean, you got to give it a chance. Yeah, it, give it a chance. Don't go in thinking that you're seeing something made by people who hate what you love, because that's quite blatantly. It's plainly not what it is, and. Um, Watch Megalon, man. Yeah, it's, it's it's one thing to not think it's funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, that I, that's humor is like that, but it's 
also more than just people making like I mean these are skilled comedians. And I'm telling you, if nothing else, if, and then if, if that doesn't convince you, nothing else, go watch Mano Stands of Fate that episode. And then you tell us that there's not certain movies that deserve this treatment. <laughs> like, so like, like yeah. there's a reason some of these movies get this, the riffing. Um, but no, I mean, I love it. Uh, over the years, I mean, it's something I haven't, I haven't gone back to MST as much as I should have. Um, and I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we didn't do this thinking we were going to single out certain episodes, but just to kind of like have the show fresh, I watched like four or five episodes and I, I liked all of them and, a lot of them even impressed me with how, I guess, respectful they were to the the material. So, got a mantis in my pantis. <laughs> I still love that joke. It's, it's worth repeating. That's a great episode. That um, mantis is awesome. Oh, it made that movie what? like ten times better than what yeah. it actually is. Yeah. Well, yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. There's so many movies you and I have watched during stream movie nights that I think would be like perfect MST. Yeah, yeah. You know? Imagine like. Air collision. <laughs> yeah, and imagine there, there. A lot of these like like bad movies that blew up like in the time, but like after MST. Imagine if they could have been the first ones to get their hands on Samurai Cop right before like yeah. other people kind of discovered it. You know, which that's going to be a riff track soon, right? Yeah, that'll. Be, I'm I'm going to go to that one. You seen Samurai Cop, man? Of course not. It's out of control, dude. Um. So that's MST. I know Same. we're we're you know not as uh ingrained in, in the kaiju subject matter as we usually are but you know I, I think that the show has a place and a relevance to the genre and i think like anything else that has i would argue has helped the kaiju genre in certain ways and i think that it's something that that you know is, is definitely worth doing an episode on it and trev i mean we couldn't have done this episode without trev dropping yeah all kinds bombs. of knowledge everywhere <laughs> um and, uh, you know, I mean, for someone who, who does two podcasts, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you finally got a chance to talk about your favorite show. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't know, I feel like it's not something that you get a chance to talk no, about. No, and like I said, like, it, it sounds corny and, like, overly sentimental, but it is a super important show to me in, in terms of developing my sense of humor, too, right? Like, I, my dad was very sarcastic, so that's where I think it comes from a lot, but then this was, like the perfect show for me to find around the age of like 12 or 13, which is what I was when I found it. Because, uh, you know, you guys know me, I'm a very sarcastic person. That's where most of my humor comes from. It's just like very, like very sarcasm driven. And so this show is like right up my alley. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good show. But it's the same thing, right? What we're just saying, I don't, this, this totally ties into what you're just talking about with MST of like, I only make fun of people I like. Right, right. Yeah. Like if I, if you know, I'm friends with you. If I'm like mocking you and making fun of yeah, you, yeah, yeah, and that's that's like the MST thing, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, watch some MST. It's on YouTube. It's on. There's a lot of it on Hulu. Um, yeah, it, it it's something that I think genre fans should like and appreciate, and especially if you like like the old horror hosts, I think you like it. So check it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyway. And while we're at, bring back horror hosts. Damn yes. Man. Yeah, man. Um, I miss that. Yeah, Shudder, Shudder. If you're out there and listening to us, get some horror hosts on there. Get Wolfman Mac on there. Get anybody. Have Elvira do new episodes, or find make your own Elvira. I I, I think Shudder is a. For those who don't know, Shudder is kind of like the Netflix service for horror, and they're they're really cool and they're really cheap, five dollars a month, and they're starting to do cool things where they they finally are starting to have a little bit of original programming. They have people curate selections for them each month. 
but it'd be really nice if they were able to bring horror hosts on there. And, and they could even give you the option of saying you can either watch it without that introduction or you can watch it with it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's like an important part of horror history that needs to be preserved a little bit. I think everyone knows who Elvira is, but I think, oddly enough, I think a lot of people don't know what she is. Yeah. Like, they know her as a personality and don't know what they the They recognize history... you, but they don't know. Yeah, history. they don't know the, yeah. the history of it. Yeah, yeah. so. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, anything else anyone wants to add? Yeah, thanks for coming, Trevor. Yeah, thank you a lot, thank man. You. Thank you. Uh, yeah. um, uh, call me when you guys finally do the Mega Gyrus episode. Yeah, Mega Gyrus commentary. You, you have first dibs. Yeah, cool. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Let's go, camera. 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 Camera is really me. Camera is filled with me. We've been eating camera. Teeth, eyes, flames, claws, breath, scales, fun! Dr. Forrester is kind of a jerk, and Frank is really dumb too. We have to take part in these lame experiments. But do we complain? No! No! Yes! Huh? So we hikey all over the place and talk of a thousand wonderful days. Everybody now! Camera is really sweet. He is filled with turtle meat. Now we have commercial signs.